Well, good morning, Christ Walk. 11 o'clock is always spot on. It took 9.15, two or three tries to get that. Um, like the coffee just hadn't fully, um, you know, connected with their veins yet, I don't think. But you guys here at 11, y'all are always on it. Happy Mother's Day, everybody. So glad that you are here with us today. I'm excited about continuing our series this morning. If, if you've got a Bible, you've got a smart device, um, I wanna invite you to turn with me uh, to the New Testament. That's the second big section of, of Scripture. The Bible's divided into the Old Testament and the New Testament. So the second one, um, the New Testament, and we're gonna go almost all the way to the end of the New Testament to the book of 1 John. So like, if you get all the way to Revelation at the end, just back up a few books and you right there at 1 John, and we're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 3 this morning. Um, so you can just park there for a minute, and we will jump in in just, just a few moments. So I got to know how many moms are in the room this morning. If, you, if you're a mom, raise your hand. Keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. All right. Um, how many of you have, um, you are a mom of, of two kids, at least two kids, Keep your hand up. Anybody a mom of at least three kids? Keep your hand up. Anybody a mom of four kids? Keep your hand up. Anybody a mom of more than four kids? All right, everyone, stretch your hand right this way. We're going to pray God's blessing upon more than four kids. My goodness, I can't, I can't, I can't imagine. Um, I, I'm actually an only child. And, um, you know, I tell people that, and a lot of people, when they hear that for the first time, they discover that for the first time, I, I typically get something like this in return, the, oh, now it makes sense. And I don't really understand what that means, so I just kind of like nod and smile, you know, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, because, you know, legend has it that when you achieve perfection on the first go-around, you don't have to try again, right? At least that's what my mom always told me growing up. Um, I'm, I'm totally kidding, totally kidding. Uh, I can remember, though, being a kid as an only child, and I can remember begging my mom for a little brother. Like, there was a, a time that I wanted a little brother so badly. Because, like, when you're a kid, like, you don't really know what you're asking for. Like, you don't fully understand all of the ramifications that are entailed to having a sibling come along. But, but for those of you that you have siblings, you grew up with brothers and sisters, like, you know, you know what it's like. And, and I gotta be honest, like, I, now, like, being the father of two, my oldest, Luke, he's 13, and my youngest, Avery, she's 10, um, being the father of two has, has totally changed my perspective on all of that, and, and, and truthfully, like, I don't think I could have, uh, could have handled it or would have handled it very well. Um, and I don't know what it was like for those of you that, um, you know, that you, you've had multiple children. I, I don't know what it was like for you, but, but like for me and Sarah, when we first had Luke, like we considered ourselves really lucky. Um, like he was the best baby, like super easy. I'm getting like daggers from my daughter right here on the front row right now. He was, he was so chill, laid back, super easy, like just go with the flow. And um, he, he, was just, he was just down for whatever. Like our, our lives really didn't change all that much. Like Luke was just a part of it. And, and it, was, it, was, it was pretty, pretty easy and everything. And so, so, 
you know, Sarah and I, after that, like we kind of started getting cocky. We were like, oh, like this isn't too bad, right? Let's have another one, right? And so, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, like this is, you know, this is just double what we already have. So it's gonna be, it's gonna be just like Luke times two, right? So I was, I was, I was like, Sarah, this is gonna be a piece of cake. And then God laughed at me and, and gave me Avery, and so where, where we used to think, we used to think that we were going to have four kids, um, we took Avery as, as, God's, um, as God's directive that we needed to stop at two because um, the mold was certainly broken when she came along and, and our lives are forever, forever changed because of it. But she is no doubt um, daddy's little princess and, and don't tell her this, but she has me wrapped around her little pinky finger. Um, and she, I think she knows it, but don't tell her, okay? I don't want her to find that out because she'll use that against me um, later on. But, you know, it, it was, truthfully, it, it was good, like, having two babies, it, it, two kids. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't so bad, like, early on. Like, it was good for the first little bit up until the point that Avery discovered that she had an opinion of her own. Which, which didn't take very long. And then it was, it was then that this only child learned very quickly firsthand what you and I know as this terminology called sibling rivalry, right? Sibling rivalry. Like, for example, a toy could be in the corner of the playroom for hours on end, just sitting there by itself, completely ignored by Avery all day long, up until the point that her brother decided that's the toy he wanted to play with. And then it was like meltdown mode, like that's the one that she had to have, even though she was ignoring it all day. Or, or um, we'd, try, we'd, we'd be trying to decide where we were gonna go to eat and everything. And Avery is pitching a fit that she wants McDonald's and, and Luke is pitching a fit that he wants anything but McDonald's. Like they could just never like come together or, or agree on anything. Or we'll be out at Target and, and Luke would get a toy that costs $19.99 and Avery would have a toy that costs $14.99 and she's trying to figure out what she's going to spend her other $5 on. <laughs> Because, you know, it's got to be equal and he can't have, you know, something that costs more than what I have, even though they both had the thing that they wanted, right? Or now um, we're about two weeks in. I don't know what I was thinking. It was, um, it was just a, a moment of poor judgment, but I just got a puppy. Um, so we're, we're like two weeks in. We've got this 11-week-old puppy running around our house. And, and, and so it's just one. So I, you, can, you can do the math. One puppy, two children. You see what's happening. And so Luke gets the puppy and Avery's like standing there with a, with a stopwatch. All right. Like, okay, his turn's over. It's, it's my turn now until the puppy has an accident in the floor. And all of a sudden it's daddy's turn with the puppy. Like anytime, you know, something needs to be cleaned up or you got to take it out to, to do its business or whatever. Then, then it's miraculously dad, it's your turn with, with the dog. You know, I, I don't really know how, how that works exactly. Um, and on road trips, on road trips, you know, you'd hear it in, in, from the back seat, she's touching me, he pinched me, she's on my side, he's breathing on me, right? Like, you guys, you guys know what I'm talking about. We, 
We have captain's chairs in our back seat and there's a, there's a console in between them. And we have, we have declared the console to be Switzerland. Like it's completely neutral territory. You stay over here and you stay over here and, and do not mix in the middle. But, but now it's, it seems like at, at 13 and at 10 years old, like any time we get into the car, like they're at each other's throats before we even get backed out of the driveway. And I mean, it's constant. And I like pull the whole like dad move. I, like, I will turn this car around. Only we'd be going like away from the house because we're backing out of the, and so it doesn't really add up or work. Some of you will get that on the way home. And if I've heard it like once, I've heard it a thousand times, something like this come out of my wife's mouth in, in, in moments like that. She'll turn around and she'll say something like, can you all just get along, please? What is it going to take for you to love one another, right? Can you all just get along, please? What is it going to take for you to just love one another? Any, any moms out there, can you attest? Can I get a witness? There's been some things like that come out of your mouth before. Because at, like, isn't that what moms really want? Like they want their babies to just get along and, and love one another, right? Okay, so that and maybe like to get to sleep in on Saturday morning, right? <laughs> Maybe those two things. But really at the end of the day, like they just want their babies to just get along and love one another. And today we're in part three of a series that we're calling Prove It, where we're taking a walk through the book of First John from the New Testament. It's, it's a letter that John wrote to the church in Ephesus to address some issues with the believers that were taking place, namely the casual attitude towards sin that some of them had adopted. In, in chapter one of this letter, John addresses directly those that claim to walk with God. And, and we learned a couple weeks ago that, that if we're going to claim to walk with God, then what we say has to match up with what we show and then in, in chapter two last week, um, we, we looked at how John addresses those who claim to know God and that if we're going to, to claim to know God, we've got to realize that, that even though we recognize Jesus, even though we may be able to recognize him, it doesn't necessarily mean that we have a relationship with him, that those are very two different things. And while both of those concepts or principles are, are like two sides of the same coin, what John does is he, he establishes that as, as foundational in the first two chapters of this book or this letter that he wrote to the believers in Ephesus. And then for the remainder of the letter, he highlights specific evidences that should be found in the lives of those claiming to be Christ followers. And in, in other words, what, what John is saying with this letter to the believers in Ephesus and, and ultimately to us today is that if, if we're going to be a Christian, it's not good enough just to talk about it or just to say so. We also have to prove it. So let's pick up in 1 John chapter 3, starting with verse 11, where John writes this. This is the teaching you have heard from the beginning. We must love each other. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because the things that Cain did were evil, and the things his brother did were good. Brothers and sisters, do not be surprised when the people of the world hate you. We know we have left death and have come into life because we love each other. Whoever does not love is still dead. Everyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, 
And you know that no murderers have eternal life in them. This is how we know what real love is. Jesus gave his life for us. So we should give our lives for our brothers and sisters. Suppose someone has enough to live and sees a brother or sister in need, but does not help. Then God's love is not living in that person. My children, we should love people not only with words and talk, but by our actions and true caring. Now, when we take a look at that passage, we realize very quickly that there is a whole lot of stuff going on in those short eight verses. So let's, for the next few minutes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna attempt to kind of break this down a little bit so that we can begin to unpack exactly what it is that John is trying to get at, what he's trying to communicate to us today. And he starts right there in, in verse 11 of that passage where he says, this is the teaching you have heard from the beginning. We must love each other. Now, no doubt, this is a reference to the teaching of Jesus all the way back in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, where in verses 34 and 35, Jesus, talking to his followers, says this. He says, I give you a new command, love each other. You must love each other as I have loved you. All people will know that you are my followers if you love each other. A few chapters later in John 15, Jesus continues this thought by telling his followers once again, this is my command. Love each other as I have loved you. The greatest love a person can show is to die for his friends. And so ultimately what John is saying here is that the foundational evidence in the life of a believer is the love that they show to their fellow believers, their brothers and sisters in the faith. The difference the world will see in us as followers of Jesus is in the way that you and I show love to one another. And this evidence is, is so important because it clearly is not the way of the world. It's not how people outside of the church, people outside of the faith, it's not how they choose to operate. And John identifies this as he continues in verse 12 of 1 John chapter 3, where he writes, Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because the things Cain did were evil. And the things his brother did were good. Brothers and sisters, do not be surprised when the people of the world hate you. We know we have left death and have come into life because we love each other. Whoever does not love is still dead. And everyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderers have eternal life in them. So it's here that John takes his readers all the way back to the very first family, way back to Genesis chapter four. And God had commanded Adam and Eve to be fruitful and to multiply. And Eve became the first mother on earth, first to a son named Cain, and then second to a son named Abel. And when Cain got older, he became a farmer. And then as Abel got older, he became a shepherd and would tend to the flocks. And the time came for Cain and Abel to bring a sacrifice of worship unto the Lord. And the Bible is very clear with its language in Genesis chapter four. It says that Cain brought some of the produce from his garden, but Abel brought the best parts of his flock to honor the Lord. 
Cain brought some, just whatever he had laying around, whatever he had access to at the time. He just brought some of it. But Abel chose what was very best, the very best parts of his flock. From the firstborn of his flock, he brought the very best to honor the Lord. And the Lord accepted Abel's offering, but he rejected Cain's. See, it was in this moment that, that Abel got something that Cain believed he deserved. After all, he was the firstborn. He was the most important. He was, he was higher on the food chain. But when God rejected Cain's offering, Cain ultimately became jealous. And that jealousy turned into hatred. And that hatred led him to take the life of his brother, Abel. Sibling rivalry had kicked in and it was in full effect. And, and John is clear here in this passage as he identifies this scenario between Cain and Abel, that this kind of hatred that we're seeing here, it defines those who belong to the world. And what John is saying is that we shouldn't be surprised when, re, when we receive that kind of treatment for those outside the faith. And in fact, we should expect it. But for the believer... Loving one's brother or sister in Christ, simply put, it's the defining mark of life and faith in Jesus. And if that evidence is not present in our lives, then we have not truly stepped into new life through Jesus and instead remain dead in our sin. So what John is saying is that if, if we are not exemplifying the kind of love to those around us, to our brothers and sisters in Christ, then we really have, we, we have no relationship with Jesus. Like we, we haven't stepped into life in Jesus because part of what, what marks that, what identifies that life in Jesus Christ is the way that we love other people, namely our brothers and sisters. And so if that love is absent, then we are still stuck in death in our sin and we have no relationship with Jesus Christ. We can't truly claim to be a Christ follower if that love is not present and evident in our life. And, and when we hear this story of, of Cain and Abel, and their situation, I, 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 don't, I don't know about you, but, but what I think is, I, I think, how could Cain possibly do such a thing? Like to, to murder his own brother, to take the life of his own brother. But then John says that, that if we hate our brother or sister, that we have murdered them. Like it, it's, it's, not, it's not that we would have to like take out a gun and actually, you know, take someone's life, but even if we, if we have hatred in our heart towards a brother or sister that we have murdered them, and that that cuts us off to accessing eternal life, that hatred that is in our hearts causes us to murder a brother and sister and, and no longer gives us access to eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's what John is communicating. That's the challenge that he's issuing us today. And when we think about this, like, like it's difficult for me to really wrap my head around. And, and as I was preparing for this and kind of processing through this message, you know, I, I got to thinking, and surely not in our community, surely this kind of thing can't be happening in our community. Definitely not at Christ Walk Church. There's no way it's going on in, in our serving teams. Be unbelievable if it's happening 
in our small groups. But yet, we'll, we'll say things like, or, or we'll think things like this. Did you hear about that church down the road? Like, can you believe that they would do that? Can you believe that their pastor would allow that to happen? Like, I, they've completely sold out. I believe they're, they're preaching a false gospel. Like, there's no way that people that go to that church, there's no way that they can really be saved. They can't actually be Christians, right? Or, or maybe we say things like, well, I guess I'm forced to sit on this side of the auditorium this morning instead of in my normal seat because you know who, she's over there. Like, can you believe the stuff that she's been doing? Like, I'm sure you've heard all about it. Like, I can't even believe that she had the guts to show her face here today. So I'm gonna sit on this side so I can stay away from her. Or, or we'll say something like, or think something like, how, how did he get to be the team lead? He's only been serving on the team like three or four weeks. I've been here for nine months. How come it's him that got the promotion? Or, on the way home from our small group, like we'll look at our wife and we'll say, you know, group was really great until that other couple showed up. I mean, like, do they even discipline their kids at all? Like, what is going on with that? And that casserole that she brought, I'd rather eat dog food. I just gotta be honest. Like, if they're gonna keep coming to the group, we're just going to stay home. We're not gonna be a part of it any longer. And like, we, we think those things and we say those things and we do all of that and yet we wonder why lost people want nothing to do with us. We wonder why people aren't coming to the church and surrendering their lives to Jesus. It's because of that right there. It's because of the attitude that we've harbored in our heart, that hatred that we have towards our brothers and sisters that we're not dealing with. Because the fact of the matter is this right here. If we're unable to show love to the found, we will never be able to show love to the lost. If we're unable to show love to the found, we will never be able to show love to the lost. And this is precisely the point that John is trying to make here. He continues on in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, where he says, this is how we know what real love is. Jesus gave his life for us so we should give our lives for our brothers and sisters. So how should we be loving others? Like, like what does that look like? Well, we need to look no further than Jesus' example. He gave up his life for us. And, and look, I get it. Like when we talk about that, like, like the idea of taking a bullet for someone that is sitting across the auditorium for us, it, it seems a bit daunting, right? It, it, it's hard for us to kind, of, to kind of go to that place or to wrap our head around that. It's definitely the extreme end of the spectrum. But what John is really talking about, the crux of the matter is that it is a heart issue that we have to deal with. It's a heart issue that is taking place. And so he, he begins to simplify and break it down a little bit more in the next verse, in verse 17, where he says, suppose someone has enough to live and sees a brother or sister in need, but does not help. Then God's love is not living in that person. What John is, is saying here is, is, is look around. Who has a need among you? Look around, identify the needs that are present among you. And once you've identified those needs, then it's your responsibility to work to meet that need. 
There should not be anyone among this body that is hungry or without clothes or doing without the basic necessities of life. There should be none among us that are lonely or that feel unloved or unwelcome or believe that their life doesn't matter and that they have no purpose. The church, this church, should not just be a place, it should be the place where people have their needs met by other people. For people to come in to this place and find a place to belong, a place where they're welcomed in by other people, a place where, where they, they find something to believe in, a, a truth to hold on to, a, a faith that they can live out and where they become everything that God has purposed for them to be. This should be a place for people to belong and to believe and to become. And if it, if it is going to be that, and, and if we will make it that, and if we will seek to, to harvest that kind of culture and that kind of community within this body here, what, what's going to happen is that those on the outside will see what is happening on the inside and they will want to be a part of it. The rule of thumb is simply this. See a need, meet a need. See a need, meet a need. That's the way that it was designed. That's, that's what the body of Christ is all about. And, and that's what makes serving teams and small groups so powerful. Like, I, I would dare to venture that if you've attended this church for any amount of time, like if you're new here, you're off the hook for this. But if you've attended this church for any amount of time at all whatsoever, and you would say, Christ Walk is a place that, yeah, I'm there, but like my needs really aren't getting met and I'm not fulfilled in, in my life there, then chances are I would dare to venture that you're not a part of a serving team or a member of a small group. It's probably just not happening because, because when you're a part of a team or a group, not only does it provide uh, the opportunity for your needs to be met, but it also gives you an opportunity to reach out and meet the needs of others as well. And watch what happens. When I take care of your need and you take care of my need, who's left wanting? Nobody, right? I take care of you, you take care of me, and we are both taken care of. And, and that is the point. That is how God designed it. So that everybody gets their needs taken care of. That is what it means to belong to a church, to be a part of the body of Christ, that people meet the needs of other people. That's how it's supposed to work, how it's supposed to function. But, but in order for it to be that, in order, in order for that to happen, there's something that's required of us. And John alerts us to that in, in the last verse of our text for today in, in verse 18, where he says, my children... We should love people not only with words and talk, but by our actions and true caring. You know, I, I kind of, when I read that, I, I kind of picture John like in the driver's seat of the SUV and his unruly kids are in the back seat and they're going at each other. And he's looking in the rear view mirror and he's locking eyes with them and he's saying, don't you make me come back there. See, what he's getting at here is he's saying, we can't just say that we love our brothers and sisters if we aren't going to then live it out with how we behave. 
So John's saying, put away the jealousy, push back the hatred, lay down your weapons. There should be no more murder taking place here. Instead, we have to truly care by putting people first and and serve as an agent to be able to come and meet their needs. This is the mark of a true believer in Jesus. And when I read this passage and, and when, I, when I try to grab hold of the fullness of what John is trying to communicate, I can't help but think of, of, of when, when Jesus, he, he, he had risen from the dead and he's, he's meeting with his disciples and, and he's there with them and, and he turns his attention to Peter. Peter, the disciple that had turned his back on Jesus, he denied him three times. And he looks at Peter, Jesus does, he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, then then feed my sheep. And again, he asks, Peter, do you love me? Jesus, yes, you know I love you. Then Peter, feed my sheep. And a third time, Peter, do you really love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then Peter, feed my sheep. And this is the challenge for us today. What God is calling the people of this house to become. So what John is saying to us today, in essence, is Christ Walk Church. Let's be the church that speaks well of other churches in our community. And let's pray that God would use them to reach the lost and that every service that they have on the weekend, that it would be filled to capacity and overflowing. And when the Lord blesses them, let's celebrate with them because we're part of the body of Christ together. And when they win, we win. Christ Walk Church, let's be the people who are on the lookout for others within the body of Christ that may have a need. And then when we see those needs, we will stop at nothing until that need gets met. Christ Walk Church, let's be the people of God who, though we've been wronged by another believer, we wouldn't wait on them to make it right. That we would make the first move and do whatever is necessary to reconcile our differences. That person could be sitting across the room from you today. And some of you need to go to them. You need to meet up out in the parking lot. You need to send a text message, make a phone call, sit down over coffee, and you need to make things right. You need to make things right. What John is saying to us is Christ walk. Let's decide today that we are going to be a church that sets the standard for what it means to love our brothers and sisters in the faith with the love of Jesus Christ, not jealousy or hatred. But instead, we put their needs ahead of our own and we seek what is best for them. Let's be those kind of people. Let's be those kind of Christ followers. Let's love that way. And you know, like, what might happen if we took that to heart and we began to live like that? What might happen if we chose to be that kind of Christian. The end result, I believe, is a simple one. 
If, if we choose to live this way and, and we choose to exemplify this kind of love, those outside the faith would no longer recognize us as hypocrites, but would instead accept us as true followers of Jesus. And I believe that, that choosing this kind of lifestyle that John's talking about, choosing this kind of love that he's pushing us toward, that it would cause unbelievers in our sphere of influence to take a step towards Jesus. And that through that love, they would be inspired to follow him every day. And that's the goal. That's the mission that the people of this house have been chosen to fulfill. But we gotta remember, the world will know that we are Christians, Christ followers, by the way that we love one another. And if we're unable to love our brothers and sisters, we're unable to love those that are found, we'll never be able to love those that are lost. It's the challenge of the word of God today. And it's my prayer that this church would become those kinds of people and that others in our community would look at us to see what it truly means to love each other, the love of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for today. Lord, I thank you for your word. It's not always easy. It's often challenging. God, I pray that you would help us to embrace your word today and the things that you are calling us to. Rather than shy away, Lord, that we would lean in. God, I, I pray that you would help each and every one of us to search our hearts and that you would expose to the light every shred and fiber of hatred that is found within our hearts. God, help us to do the things necessary to make it right. Help us to honor our brothers and sisters in the faith, be it across the aisle or across town. God, that we would be a people that exemplified in, in all of its fullness what it means to love our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And God, as we do that, as we choose this lifestyle, as we walk this out, God, I pray that you would honor that and that because of our choice to love other people with the love of Jesus, Lord, that your, your kingdom would be built and this community would be edified and that you would use us to make a difference during our time here on earth. Help us to accept the challenge before us to be the people of God that you've called us to be. To love others by putting their needs ahead of our own. It's in your most holy name that we pray. In Jesus' name. And everybody said,